Revelation 11, and this is the word of God. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. And if anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the people and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. Because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell in the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of that city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. If you were here last Sunday night, then you would have heard me reminding the congregation that there are some in this world today who think our great hope is President Donald Trump. Two weeks ago I was a bit stunned when I heard that there were some leaders in the American Christian church saying that if you do not support Donald Trump, then you're not a Christian. I hope you don't believe that. I hope you don't think that you must support a politician somewhere to be counted as one of Christ's, because that is simply not true. But there are some within the church, and I'm not denying that they are saved. There are some within the Holy Catholic Church, of which we are part, think that Donald Trump is the guy that we need to look to in these dark days. If you believe that, then maybe this past week you were encouraged by a photo that Mr. Trump tweeted out on his Twitter account. It was a picture of Rambo's body. If you grew up in the 80s, you will know that Sylvester Stallone played Rambo, a a Vietnam veteran who came back to get revenge on all his enemies. He tweeted a picture of Rambo's body, this muscular body, with his own head attached to the top of it. Here is the most powerful man in the world, pretending he is Rambo. Folks, maybe that excites you. Maybe that makes you think, that's the sort of leader we need. That's the, that's the guy, a strong leader who has a good sense of humor and probably somewhere within believes his own propaganda. But today we do not need Rambo, Trump, or Johnston, or indeed anyone else. Today we are part of the bride of Jesus Christ. We are part of the holy Catholic Church. 
And today as we consider God's grace and how he communicates that grace to us, how we come to know and understand that grace, then we must begin with the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is not a a secondary thought on this world. It was God's plan to send his son Jesus to lay down his life as a ransom for many. And it is the many that the Lord laid down his life for that that make up the bride, that make up the church, that gather on a weekly basis all throughout this world to, to call themselves Christians. And that is why today, like the Apostles' Creed states, the church of Jesus Christ, of which we are part, is holy, it is Catholic, and it is the church. It is holy because she is set apart from the world. She is taken out of the world, gathered out of every corner of the world, and brought under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is holy. She is sanctified. Her sins have been forgiven. She is the bride of Jesus. And the church is Catholic in that she is universal. She is not just in Balahinch, but she is everywhere where the gospel has been preached and men and women have come to trust Jesus. The church is down south. The church is across the water. The church is in China. The church is in France. The church is in the Americas. The church is all over this world. She is Catholic. And it is amazing to think of that today, friends, that we worship together on this day, at this moment, and we join with millions of other Christians throughout the globe to do exactly that. We are not part of some local organization. We are part of the church Catholic, the church universal, the church worldwide. The church is holy, she is Catholic, and she is the church. She is the ecclesia, the gathering. And the church did not just start at Pentecost. The church has been there from the beginning. Wherever there's been anyone who has known the Lord as their Savior, then they are the church. There the church resides. And we see the church and her adventures all throughout the Old Testament. And then the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are brought into the body of the church. And here we stand today, 2,000 odd years later. That is who we are. And as the scriptures tell us, as they remind us, that Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of this fellowship. In Ephesians 2, we read that we are no longer aliens and strangers, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And it is for this reason that today you do not need to go home and print out a picture of Donald Trump with Rambo's body and stick it up on your fridge or above the mantelpiece. You do not need to take down your big painting of Ian Paisley today. You do not need to replace Her Majesty the Queen. We do not need someone like that because Christ is the cornerstone. And this body which we are part of by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, well, it holds together not by the strength of a leader or by men, but because of Jesus. And boy, do we need Jesus in these days. In Revelation 11, the picture we are given of the church is a temple that is both invincible, but also vulnerable. John, in verse 1 of chapter 11, was given a measuring rod like a staff and was told, Rise and measure the temple of God, the people of God, and the altar and those who worship there. Measure them. Measure them. 
And there's an old saying, not that I've ever said this, I'm not pretending that I'm handy. When John and Olivia move into their new house in a month, I won't be the one that's going up to put up shelves. He's already got Billy McConnell's phone number for that. And Billy's tied up until next June, putting shelves up in John's new house. I am not in any way handy, but isn't it said that you should measure twice and cut once? Don't they say that, Billy? Aye. Measure twice and cut once. And why do you do that? Well, it's so you don't make a mistake. You don't want to start trimming the pews and realize you've trimmed too much. You don't want to start putting up a shelf and realize that it's, it's too big. I remember when we were getting married and starting to put furniture in our wee house, uh, we went to the shop to buy a, a new table that we would sit down and enjoy meals for the rest of our days around. We found this beautiful, lovely table, lovely chairs, and Jenny said, will that fit? Oh, of course it'll fit, I said. Of course it will. I measured it. Sure, I'm sure, my sweet, my dear, that's how I speak to her, I'm sure. When I, I thought I was sure, and then I wasn't sure, and I thought more and more about it, and anyway, we couldn't buy it, it wasn't in stock, and we went home, and I measured properly this time, it was probably about two times the size of the space that I thought we would fit it into. You don't want to be like that. You, you don't want to be foolish and not measuring properly. And so what do we think of about the church when we read here that she is to be measured? Well, she is to be measured because she is known by the Lord. And that is a wonderful thing to realize today. In 2019, with the dark clouds rolling in and the changes abroad in our land, and we think, who can we turn to? Who can we look to? How can the church survive this onslaught? Maybe it is Donald Trump. Maybe it is Boris. Maybe it's Arlene. No. The church does not need any of these paper tigers, any of these paper champions. Because John sees this image of the church and she is measured. Every inch of her is known. The Lord only needs to measure once because he makes no mistake, but he knows his people. He knows his bride. And gentlemen, hopefully you know your bride. Hopefully you've never made the mistake where you launch into a, a conversation and you say, love, it was like that time, do you remember? Do you remember we went to the cinema in Ballon Hinch? What, what year was it, 1962? Oh, love, do you remember that night? And we got popcorn and we held hands and I gave you a wee kiss on the bridge. Your wife looks at you and says, no, no, I was never in the cinema in Ballon Hinch with you. Must have been someone else. You, you don't want to tell stories like that. Maybe you never do. But you don't want to make those mistakes. You want to know your bride, the love, the, the joy of your heart. Well, John sees the bride, the temple of God, and he is told, measure her. I know her. I love her, says the Lord. Every one of his people, and this, this blows my head today, every one of God's people in our little fellowship this morning is known by the Lord, just as every single member of the church in China is known by the Lord. And every single member of the church in Australia is known by the Lord. And I could continue in every nation on this earth, every single person in this world today who knows Christ as their Savior is part of the Holy Catholic Church and is known by the Lord. And in this body, the Lord communicates his grace to us. It is in the church of Jesus Christ that we hear the good news. We hear the gospel. It is in the church of Jesus Christ that we have been given the word of God in, in our own tongue, our own language. 
week after week we come and if the preaching's rubbish, at least we can hear the word in English. We have this blessing. We have the sacraments. We have the supper. We have baptism. We are given these gifts by the Lord where he communicates his grace to us. Because as he knows his people, so he loves his people, and he provides for his people. And he does it within the boundaries of the Holy Catholic Church. And yet, today, the church knows difficulty. And that shouldn't surprise us. Because the Lord measures us and knows us and cares for us and provides. But in verse 2, John also sees the other side of what it is to be the church. The Lord says, do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. They will trample the holy city for 42 months. And so what we see here is a picture of the church, which is invincible, measured, known by the Lord. None will be lost. But also a church that is vulnerable to the attacks of the world and to the enemy. I would imagine none of us like to imagine being trampled underfoot. No one wants to be walked all over. Sure, we don't stick up for yourself, our parents would tell us. Stick up for yourself. You, you tell that individual. You defend yourself. None of us want to be trampled over. And yet this is the very image that John receives of the measured yet trampled Church of Jesus Christ. It isn't going to be a period of time that lasts forever. It is for 42 months, and there are lots of periods of time throughout the book of Revelation. 42 months just shows us that it is a limited time. It is not a perfect time. It is not seven years, which in Revelation is a perfect period of time. It is 42 months. But nevertheless, for an indefinite period of time, the church will be trampled. And we might think to ourselves in the Christian West, well, when will that be? Because up until now, we haven't really experienced too much of it. We have never really had persecution uh, in our day, certainly. But the story of the church of Jesus Christ throughout this world has always been a story of persecution. I commend to you the work of Open Doors. If you don't know who Tina is, uh, she will make herself known to you over coffee this morning. And she will tell you more about the work of Open Doors and how you can support Open Doors. But if you read anything from Open Doors, then you will read stories of trampling. Stories of the church of Jesus Christ in far off distant parts of this world. And maybe out of sight and out of mind, but Open Doors bring them to our sight, to our mind. And, and we hear stories of persecution. We hear stories about individuals who have converted from Islam and are chased out of their homes and families and lands because of it. We hear stories of rape. We hear stories of public beatings. We hear stories of property confiscation. Recently, just a few weeks ago, there was a, a story about a church in China that was dismantled, that was torn down. And they didn't even wait for the believers inside to leave it. We have not seen those days, thanks be to God, in this land. But the church of Jesus Christ has, from the very beginning, known what it is to be trampled. The church is invincible. But the church is also vulnerable. And the church, of course, is not universally adored. In verse 7, we read in this passage that the world despises the church. 
the church testifies to the power and the glory of God, the, the picture that we're given here is of two witnesses. The church is two witnesses. And you think, well, Scott, how, how does that work? Well, in the Bible, two witnesses are, are given to authenticate the message. In Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, we read, A single witness will not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Jesus says something similar in Matthew 18 and verse 16 as we're dealing with a brother who has sinned against us. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. In 1 Timothy 5 and 19, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And when Jesus is sending his disciples out to evangelize, he called the twelve together and he began, began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirit. So throughout the scriptures, whenever we hear about two witnesses, what we are thinking about is an authentic message. An authentic message. And so here in verse 3, John hears that the Lord will grant his authority to his two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Again, not a complete full period of time, but they will prophesy for this amount of time, and they will do so in sackcloth. And here is the ministry and the message of the church of Jesus Christ. The church goes into a world which despises it. Sometimes we wonder, well, well, why do we not just get on with everybody? Why does the world seem to be angry against the message of the cross? And it's because the world despises the message of the cross. And it is because the church is the means by which God communicates his grace, not just to his people, but to the world around us. And so as the church goes into the world and proclaims forgiveness for sin and points many to Jesus, and as the church goes into the world and, and urges individuals and men and women and politicians even to repent and to believe the gospel, it is not a popular message. And so John sees the two witnesses prophesying dressed in sackcloth, calling on individuals to repent, a message that is combined with power and authority. We see that in verse 5 and verse 6. And there are times when the church on this earth has been incredibly strong, incredibly faithful, and we have seen and witnessed days of revival. And yet the world never quite gets to the point where they accept the message of the church. John sees the end of day. When the church has finished its testimony in verse 7, and the beast that rises from the bottomless pit makes war on the church, conquers them, and kills them. It's not a good image, is it? And the body of the church is left lying there, and the world celebrates, we're told, and give each other gifts. In verse 10, because the prophets, the witnesses, the church, has been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Folks, here is an image of the Holy Catholic Church. Invincible, yet vulnerable, and not universally adored. And even in our day and age, and even in our own locality, she is weak, and she is divided, 
And at times we wonder if this is the means by which God has ordained to communicate his grace into this world, then we have an almighty job on our hands. Folks, Bowling Hinch, as you know, is coming down with churches. But you only have to go outside our town to find somewhere like Drummond where the, the witness is small. The witness is small and weak. On down the road, you could name other places like Taconic, Lockin Island, other wee towns and villages all throughout this district that aren't like Balnehinch with a church on every doorstep. The witness is small and the witness is weak. And that story is repeated, especially when you cross the border. John isn't here today. I don't know where he is. Maybe he's lying on the beach in Dundalk or somewhere. I don't know if Dundalk have a beach. But you speak to John about the church in the south. You talk to John about how far he has to travel from where he lives in Navan to go to worship in Drogheda. The church at times, even on this island, is weak. And we think, is this the means by which God communicates his grace into this world? Is this the means by by which God speaks the gospel into this world? Surely if this is what it is all about, then, then the world will never believe. Scott, we may as well get your head and put it on Rambo's body. I don't need to, by the way. I'm very muscular. We need a strong man, a leader. We need the the government to help us. We need the government to force people in the church. And and believe you me, people think that sometimes. Throughout the history, even of this nation, that's been an idea. Well, Well, if we combine the church and the state, then obviously everything will go well. There's no biblical mandate for that. Christ is the sole king and the head of the church. And whether the church seems strong and mighty or despised and weak, the church is the means by which the Lord communicates his grace. The church is the means by which the Lord changes cultures and communities in this island and throughout this world. It has always been this way. The church in the Old Testament was to be a light onto the nation. And the church, when we meet her again in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, we're told that it was a church that was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. These simple yet God-given things exercised faithfully in the church were the means by which God's grace was communicated and, says Luke in Acts 2, Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. All who believed were together, had all things in common. The Lord added to their number day by day by day those who were being saved. And here is the ordinary means and the ordinary ministry and the ordinary communication of God's grace into this world. And it is in and through the bride of Christ, the church. Holy Catholic Church. Invincible, but vulnerable, despised and rejected, and in our day and age, and are we part of the world, weak and divided, but yet still beautiful and glorious. Can I ask you, have you ever been to a wedding where you have had the audacity to sit in the pew and you see the bride walking up the aisle and you turn to your loved one and say, She's a bit rough looking, isn't she? If you thought that, would you have the guts to say it? I hope not. I really hope not. 
that sometimes when we look at the bride of Christ, which we are a part of, we can't help thinking she's a bit rough looking. We don't see the power in this day and age. In our own town, once upon a time, there was a man called W.P. Nicholson that came and preached here with, with power and passion, and, and many came to know Christ through his ministry. The same man down where I lived, down where I'm from, preached in uh, Raven Hill Presbyterian Church. They say the crowds going in through the double doors were so much that they knocked one of the pillars off its base. We don't see those days. Maybe we're tempted to look at the church and think, hopelessly divided, absolutely weak. We need a new way. We need a new path. We need a strong leader. We need something different to reach this world because the church just isn't going to get it done. But my friends, do not despise the bride of Christ. Do not despise who you are. And I can assure you there is nothing greater than to be part of the local church, part of the Christian church, part of the church Catholic. Nothing greater to be part of that. We are the church. And we are the means by which the Lord changes cultures and communities. And we do it in the ordinary, tried and tested ways. And we have absolutely everything we need to do it. See, if you read Revelation 11, perhaps your temptation will be to, to quake. It is not a good picture. If I have interpreted this correctly, and I believe I have, it is a picture that says the church is despised here and now, and it's only going to get worse until the end comes. It's only going to get more intense until the end comes. The church looks forward to the coming of Christ, but before he comes... The beast is to arrive, the Antichrist is to come. The church will be despised so much that the world will wage war against her and try and stamp out her message. And indeed, if we read Revelation 11 correctly, it seems that at the end of days, it will seem that the church has been wiped out. The message has been silenced. The world celebrates. And as we read that, we think, wow, I don't think I want to be part of the church. I want to be part of the, the winning team. I want to be on Trump's team. I want to be on the team that gets a majority in, in government in two weeks' time. I want to be on a, a team that, that does nicer things and brighter things and things with smoke and mirrors. I, I don't want to be one of these despised guys lying dead in the street. And yet as we read verse 12, just when it seems that gospel has been stamped out, then we hear a loud voice, a loud voice from heaven and saying to the church, come up here. And the bride of Christ goes up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watch. And that are, are many are killed in a great earthquake and many of the others are terrified and, and give glory to the God of heaven. It has been said that the church is on the wrong side of history, not according to Revelation 11. Not according to the word of God. It says that the history hinges on Christ and what he has accomplished. And in this world today, in this land today, it is the church that is the means of God's communication of grace into these dark streets of Balmahen Champion. And so my brothers and sisters, do not despise the church. 
Do not believe we need something new. Do not believe that the old ways are gone and, and we need to reinvent everything, but embrace the means by which God will transform lives. Because I have never met anyone who has been set free from their sin by a politician pretending to be Rambo. I have never met anyone who has been set free from their sin by the church in bed with the government. I have never met anyone being set free by a church that decides, do you know what? The gospel just doesn't get it done. We're going to change our message. But the church of Jesus Christ, holy, Catholic, true, the church that preaches the gospel, the church that administers the sacraments, the church that stands firm under trial and persecution, that bride, that church, as rough as she may look, she is the means by which God communicates his grace into this world and the means by which he plucks sinners out of Satan's hands and the means by which he breaks their chains. Because it is the local church, you and me, and others like us, it is the local church, you and me, and individuals like George Spears and Paul Cole, and Victor Neal, and Dario Leal, and Warren Russell. It is the church like you and me, men and women of faith in this wee town of ours. It is the church, ordinary Christians like us, who get things wrong all the time, who do stupid things and act in foolish ways. It is the church, you and me, for which Christ has died. And you and me, who while we are waiting, don't sit with our thumbs twiddling, but go and make Christ known in the simple yet powerful and mighty preaching of the gospel. See, in Hebrews 12, speaking about who we are, speaking about the church, Paul writes this. He says, we are not on Mount Sinai anymore, but instead, verse 22, we have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And we have come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is who we are. This is the church. This is how God communicates his grace. And it is this wonderful, glorious, international, holy, set-apart body to which we belong. And friends, it is with great delight today that I can offer you membership in that church. I'm not a used car salesman. I'm not going to get up here today and try and sell you a home in the south of France that you get to use for 10 days a year just for £700 a month. I'm not going to do that. Membership of the church does not depend on your bank balance. It does not depend on your past. It does not depend on what you can offer and what you can give. Membership of this beautiful bride depends on what you will do with the bridegroom. Today, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sole king and head of the church, offers membership to his body to you on the condition of faith placed in him. 
And so friends, I do not care too much who you will vote for next week or what you think of Mr. Trump or any of the other leaders in this world today. The church needs none of them because the church has Jesus. And today I offer him to you as your savior and friend who one day, we're waiting, but one day is coming again. The church, not just some organization, but the beautiful bride of Christ. Until he comes, amen.